Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org membership. At the conclusion of every Pirkei Avos study, we recite another passage of Mishnah, specifically the last Mishnah of Tractate Makos. Here's how it reads. Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia says, The Blessed Holy One wanted to grant merit to Israel, and so he made their Torah and commandments numerous. As the verse says in Isaiah 42:21, Hashem desired for the sake of his righteousness that he would magnify and glorify his Torah. Okay, so Rabbi Hanania's interpretation of that verse from Isaiah might not be the simplest meaning of that verse in context, but let's go with it. Uh, Isaiah 42 is all about the servant of Hashem, uh, you know, Israel, the light of the nations. And Hashem desired for Israel to be righteous, to have lots of merit. So what did he do? He magnified the Torah. That is to say, uh, he made it big, full of mitzvot. Every mitzvah is an opportunity. It's a, a fruit ripe for the picking. Uh, with so many mitzvahs at your disposal, it should be easy to be righteous. What, how, how great it is. What a blessing that God firehosed Israel with commandments. Well, that's one way to look at it. Here's another angle. Romans uh, 13, verses 8 through 10. In this passage, Paul told his readers, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the Torah. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed in, up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the Torah. Now, I've heard, I'm sure you've heard, people explain Paul's words to mean that one need not worry about all the details of a Torah-observant life. Why fuss with detail cleaning the inside of your car before Pesach? Why make a big deal about carrying a key on, on Shabbat? Now that the Messiah has come, we realize that love is what God really wants from us, you know, to decide whether something is right or wrong, obligatory, or optional, just ask, is it loving? And if so, do it. So now love is the only mitzvah. Loving others is the only mitzvah with which we need to concern ourselves. Well, we, we all know the difficulty here. Love is baked into the Torah. It, it wasn't a secret that the, that the Messiah needed to reveal. And a true Messiah will not cancel or redefine cleaning for Passover. That's not the Messiah's job. In, 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 instead, we recognize that Paul identified love as a summary or a distillation of the Torah. Paul, uh, you know, the sages of the Mishnah, and you and I, we all wish to be Torah keepers, to be on the righteous path of Hashem, whatever that means for each one of us in our place and in our position. Hashem wanted to confer merit on Israel, so he magnified the Torah. He, he, he filled it with mitzvahs. There are 613 commandments, each one an opportunity to bring heaven to earth and to unite with Hashem. And, and the sages 
have expounded on each mitzvah and, and its various applications, leading to thousands of halachas and, and directives that govern every moment of the day. Torah surrounds us and it encompasses us. So if we're not laden with the merit of keeping the Torah, it's certainly not due to any lack of opportunity. So what is holding us back? Well, the Satan twists this beautiful truth and turns it against us. It's too much. There are too many. Where do you begin? How can you accomplish it all? Like a person who wishes to clean their house, but it's such a terrible mess that it seems hopeless and impossible, so instead he sits on his couch and flips through channels on the TV. There's too much to learn, too much to do, too much to change about your life. Overwhelmed by the the scale of it all, you just become paralyzed like a deer in headlights. You don't know where to start, and so days, weeks, months, And years go by, and the steps you've taken are few and faltering. Rather than make progress, you stay where you're comfortable and where things are familiar. And you might feel embarrassed about it. Perhaps you feel like, well, living a righteous life is for a handful of zealots, those with either superior intellects or angelic temperaments, and who also have a wealth of time on their hands. Well, listen, this is not the way the Torah is meant to be. The Torah is meant to be inspiring, not overwhelming, not intimidating. It's meant to raise the lowly, the humble, the oppressed, not to aggrandize the talented. It's meant to unite Israel and to unite the nations into divine service, not to shut people out or to stratify society. Now, if maybe you didn't didn't really uh, identify with the problems that I was describing. But if you do, rest assured, you're not the only one to have that problem. And nor is it a new problem by any stretch. According to the sages, it wasn't really a problem so much in the days of Joshua and Moses, those early years, because they were guided by strong leaders and prophets. But as the generations went on, waxing and waning in, in, in righteousness like the brightness of the moon, the masses were left behind. And by the time of King David, people despaired because the Torah's numerous commandments were too overwhelming. Now, how fitting that on Shavuot, that's when I originally gave delivered the, the weekend I d- delivered this, this talk, we celebrate the birthday of King David, the man after God's heart. The sages tell us that King David provided guidance for solving this problem, the problem of too much Torah. Then the prophets came and they took David's approach, which I'll, we'll talk about in a moment, and they took it a step further. And then Yeshua really also confirmed and applied and advocated the same solution offered by David and the prophets and explained by the sages. So if you feel overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the Torah and you are unsure where to start, then you can feel confident that this solution will work for you. So what was King David's solution? Just like with any big task, you start by organizing. Break it down. And so, according to Rabbi Simlai in the Gemara, 
King David did just that for us when he composed Psalm 15. Take a look. It's going to be easier to follow this if you're actually looking at the, 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 the chapter right out of the text. In Psalm 15, it says, A Psalm of David. Who, o Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up an, a, a, a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Okay, so how does one stay on a path of righteousness? Just focus on these 11 principles at the heart of the Torah. Number one, Psalms 15 said, walk blamelessly. What does that mean? Wholeheartedly, genuinely. Abraham is a good example of this, as God told him in Genesis 17.1, walk before me and be blameless. Number two, do what is right. Okay, in other words, be scrupulous and be honest with, with weights and measures. Let truth and fairness guide your life. The sages mention Abba Hilkiah, who wouldn't even stop to greet the sages when he was on the clock at his job. Number three, speak the truth in your heart. That means be honest with your intentions. You know, once um, a man made a business offer to Rav Safra, but he couldn't answer because he was in the middle of praying. So the man thought that Rav Safra was playing hardball and doubled his offer. And then when Rav Safra finished praying, he accepted the original offer because that was his honest intention. Number four, don't slander with your tongue. Okay, the, the sages interpreted this word not as slander as we think of it, but more as sneakiness. Think of Jacob, who was so hesitant to deceive his father until his mother assured him that it was going to be okay. Number five, do not do evil to your neighbor. Well, that seems pretty obvious, right? But according to the sages, this means one should not infringe on another person's livelihood by cutthroat business practices. Number six, do not take up reproach against your friend. That means that you stand by people even when they're going through something embarrassing. Next, uh, number seven, despise a vile person. So that means when, when someone acts immorally, you call them out on it instead of giving them a pass because they're your friend or relative. Number eight, honor those who fear Hashem. That means that you show utmost respect for those who study the Torah and live righteously, even if you are a CEO and they are a janitor. They say to say that uh, King Yehoshaphat would rise in the presence of Torah scholars. Number nine, swear to your own hurt and do not change. That's to say, um, keep your promises even if it becomes inconvenient. Uh, so, for example, Rabbi Yochanan would... Uh, decline people's hospitality by saying, oh, I'm fasting today. You don't have to get anything out from me. I'm fasting. But then he would honor the fast, and for the rest of the day, he would be fasting. Um, number 10, do not put out your money at interest. 
The sages say that even though the Torah allows charging interest to a Gentile, this verse says you shouldn't do that anyway. And uh, number 11, finally, don't take a bribe against the innocent. But, you know, sometimes bribes are not so obvious. Uh, Rabbi Ishmael refused to sit in judgment in any case involving his sharecropper simply because uh, he might pay his share a little earlier He's still paying the same amount, but he pays it just a little bit earlier to gain a little favor in the eyes of this judge. So you want to avoid any situations where your judgment might be biased. Okay, so after all this, what does King David say? He who does these things shall never be moved. But honestly, that's a lot of things. Rabban Gamliel would cry when he read this verse. That's a tall order. But Rabbi Akiva came and told him, look, it's not all or nothing. He who does any of these things shall never be moved. Don't let your fear of failure paralyze you. The psalm is not here to judge, but to guide you and to orient you in the path of observance. Of course, this summary seems to have left some things out. Uh, King David said nothing about cleaning for Pesach. He failed anything to mention anything about working on Shabbat. But that's because this is not a comprehensive rule book. It's the big picture of what the Torah is trying to do. It's the guiding light that keeps us oriented toward healthy growth in Torah. These are the weighty matters of the Torah. Okay, time for some analogies. Have you ever tried to put together a puzzle without looking at the picture on the box? Now, whether you put look at the picture or not, you're still going to use all the puzzle pieces, but now it's quick, quicker and easier because you know what you're trying to build. So David's 11 points are the picture on the puzzle box of the Torah. Another analogy, and uh, I, you've probably heard this one before. If not, then you should hear it. So let's say you have have a jar and uh, would like to use it to bring home some rocks and some pebbles and some sand that you collect at the beach. If you start by putting in the, the big rocks in the jar and then you add the pebbles, the, the pebbles will fall through the, into the spaces between the rocks and then you can add the sand and with a little shaking, the grains of sand will filter through between the, the, the pebbles. But if you start with sand, you'll never fit all the rocks in the jar. David's 11 points are the big rocks, the weighty matters of the Torah. But, you know, 11 is a lot of points. Have you ever heard an 11-point sermon? Yeah, it's still too much, too overwhelming. So the prophet Isaiah came and he whittled it down uh, for us a little more. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 33, verses 13 through 16. It says, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Well, here too. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortresses of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Okay, 
Now, if you look at this closely, you'll see we only have six points. First, walk righteously, like Abraham, who uh, in Genesis 18, 19, commanded his children to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Good. Number two, speak uprightly. Um, in, in other words, don't humiliate others in public. Watch your tongue. Uh, number three, despise the gain of oppressions. Uh, for example, uh, when you are a um, when you are a kohen, especially in temple times, you would receive uh, pr priestly gifts such as like the first fruits of dough and such. Uh, so Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha was a kohen, but and so he's entitled to these gifts. But if someone were to give him those gifts, he would re refuse to also be a judge involving their case. He would send them to someone else to judge because he's receiving something from them. So that's despising the uh, the uh, the gain of oppressions. Uh, number four, shake your hands lest they hold a bribe. Again, we're talking about those who refuse to sit in judgment in a case involving like a sharecropper or a tenant. Number five, stop your ears from hearing bloodshed. Well, that means when you hear someone insulting a, a righteous person, you don't remain silent. You, you speak up on their behalf. And this, by the way, is exactly what we do when we're presenting Yeshua within his Jewish context. He is somebody who is uh, being insulted, and it's, and, and it's unfair bloodshed, and we, we, he deserves for us to stand up and, uh, and not remain silent, but speak on his behalf. Number six, shut your eyes from looking on evil. And this, of course, this just means don't let your eyes wander where they shouldn't. Uh, this is certainly a major concern in our generation that we can all relate to. So one who keeps these six principles, it says, uh, Isaiah says, will dwell on the heights. But really, even six feels like too much. So, okay, the prophet Micah narrowed it down even more. He narrowed it down to three. This is the familiar verse from Micah 6, 8. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And really, this is understood correctly in context. What does God want from us? How do we arrive at redemption, at the kingdom? And there are these three things. Number one, do justice. And in Hebrew, uh, in Micah there, it, it says, asot mishpat. That's exactly what it sounds like, judgment, righteousness. Number two, love kindness. In Hebrew, the, the phrase here is ahavat chesed. And that's uh, also what it sounds like, doing kind deeds for one another. And finally, number three, walk humbly. And in Hebrew, that says lehatznea lechet. And that means uh, conducting yourself with modesty, being private in the way that you observe. But really, maybe even three is too much to juggle. And that's fine. Uh, in another place, okay, Isaiah 56.1, Isaiah says, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. And the word for righteousness is tzedakah, and which we understand to mean charity, right? So justice and charity, okay? Only two points. You can handle that, right? And if you can't, well, the sages say the prophet Habakkuk summarized the whole Torah in a single word. Habakkuk 2.4. 
the righteous shall live by his faith. Emunah. Okay, well, congratulations. We just basically studied a passage, a page, a blot of Gemara, a page of the, out of the, the Talmud. Um, and so if you're wondering what the Talmud contains, this is a great example. Um, and uh, this discussion helps us to understand what Yeshua meant by the weightier matters of the Torah. And, and when he said that the Torah is fulfilled by love, these are the rocks that you put in your jar first. They are the guiding lights that properly align and orient your observance of the Torah. In Matthew 23, 23, Yeshua identified uh, three weighty matters of the Torah, and they're, they're almost identical to those listed by Micah. Uh, you've got mishpat, or justice, chesed, or kindness. But instead of Micah's tzniut, modesty, uh, we have Habakkuk's phrase, or a word, emunah, faith. So justice, kindness, and faith. Mishpat, chesed, and emunah. Now, why three? Well, the number three implies a foundation, uh, you know, a, a table or a stool in our universe and uh, on the surface of our planet must have a minimum of three legs in order to be stable. You know, in, in a three-dimensional space, there are three axes that define a position. So the number three gives us a, stense, a sense of st stability and orientation, and that idea is baked right into our universe. In the beginning of Pirkei Avos, uh, yeah, the great sage Shimon the Righteous taught that the universe stands upon three things, on the Torah, on the temple service, and on acts of kindness. Now, by saying the world stands on these pillars, he doesn't mean that they are the backdrop. They're not like the rules at a public pool. Um, they're the point of the universe. They are how... God reveals himself and makes his home among us. Now, our master's, our Master Yeshua's list of the weighty matters of the Torah and the three pillars of Shimon the righteous are really the one, one and the same. So by comparing them, it, it's going to help us to understand each one on a deeper level. Furthermore, um, we can add something else into the mix. Uh, each commandment in the Torah represents any of three kinds of relationships— there is the relationship between a between God and a person, um, between a person and another person, and the relationship between a person and him or herself. Three different kinds of relationships. So according to uh, Rabbi Ettinger in the classic work Aruch Haner, the weighty matters in Micah 5.8 correspond to these three relationships. And according to the Vilna Gaon, the, the three pillars of Shimon the Righteous also correspond to these three relationships. So if we do our math right, we can draw a straight line through each of these areas, create kind of a matrix. Okay, so first item on Yeshua's list is Mishpat. That's justice. What really is Mishpat? It comes from the root Shafat, which means to de decide between. It means to ascertain the truth and to apply it rightly, to divide, to distinguish, and to mark boundaries. Justice means it requires making honest determinations, even if they're not comfortable. The very first statement of uh, instruction in uh, in Pirkei Avot 1.1 is, 
de- be deliberate in judgment. Be deliberate in judgment. The Torah established its, itself firmly on the unwavering principles of justice, and it charges the priesthood to distinguish between clean and unclean, holy and common. That's mishpat. Now, many people have a they, they hold a distorted view of Yeshua's teaching as if to say that love and mercy completely overrides matters of judgment in all cases. But Yeshua, echoing Micah and Isaiah and David, identifies judgment, justice, the rule of law as one of the weightiest matters in the Torah. To call something kosher when it is not violates the heart of Torah. Likewise, it's a violation of judgment to be overly strict, when it can, which, which can happen if one is too lazy to be deliberate in judgment. So Yeshua criticized the religious establishment in his day for doing both of those things, being too, too, too uh, lenient and being too strict. A violation of justice is not loving. While it may benefit one person, it will always hurt another person. You know, the world was created through separation. Every act of God's creation separated it, divided it, distinguished between one thing and another. And so God brought order to the primordial chaos. Judgment, mishpat, is the same process of separating, distinguishing, filtering, sifting this world. And so to properly apply justice is to partner with God in his creation of the world. A beautiful thing. Now remember, um, each of these weighty matters relates to a relationship uh, between a person and God, between a person and another person, or between a person and him or herself. So according to Aruchaner, Aruchlaner, um, mishpat or justice reflects the relationship between a person and him or herself. Mishpat is a realignment of oneself with divine truth, with the divine will. Just as you have a duty to serve God and a, and a duty to be kind to others, you have a duty to transform yourself, to become a person of Torah. Mishpat or justice centers on a on correcting a person's thought process. Now, um, the three pillars on which the world stands, according to Shimon the Righteous, also correspond to these these relationships. The the Torah, the temple service, and acts of kindness. Those are the three pillars, right? So which of these reflects the relationship between a person and him or herself? Well, according to the Vilna Gaon, this relationship corresponds to the pillar of Torah. Torah defines for us truth, rightness, wisdom, and and thus Torah or justice, justice can't even exist without Torah. So how do we do this? How do we grow in the the weighty matter of mishpat? How do you get better at that? Well, it it doesn't mean sticking to our guns. It doesn't mean being inflexible or always being strict. It really, it's just the opposite. Our our goal is to learn to let go of our own bias, our own feelings and instinct, instincts, and, and to try to see the world through God's eyes. And the best way to do this is to write the Torah on our hearts. Read the scriptures. Study. Let your paradigm 
be changed. Let your assumptions and your preconceived notions dissolve. Okay, now the second item on Yeshua's list of weighty matters is chesed, or kindness. As Micah called it, ahavat chesed, or love of kindness. Now chesed is, is more than just being nice. Um, it's sharing a bond with another person, building and strengthening of relationship. It's finding commonality and opening up oneself to another person. What does that look like in, pro in, in practice? Uh, some examples of, of chesed in, include uh, visiting the sick, comforting mourners, helping one who has died to receive a proper burial and funeral, uh, bringing joy to a bride and groom, uh, you know, it's a mitzvah to dance before a bride and groom and to, to providing for their needs, showing hospitality to guests, providing them with food and a place to, to stay, walking them out, uh, providing for the poor, whether you're providing money, clothing, housing, food, or whatever they need, uh, giving people interest-free loans or letting people borrow objects from you. Now, most of the exa examples I provided uh, have no explicit commandment in the Torah. There is no written commandment that says you shall visit the sick. Um, so the Rambam states that these are actually rabbinic commandments, which are all applications of the biblical verse, love your fellow as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. And this is an amazing parallel. The Rambam interpret, interprets that verse, love your neighbor as yourself, to mean, and I'm quoting here from what his, the Rambam's interpretation, he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do those things to your brother in Torah and commandments. The sages of the Gemara pinned it on Exodus 18.20, strangely enough. This is it, Jethro's advice to Moses. Uh, he, he, he said to Jethro, said to Moses, you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in, much, in, in which they must walk and what they must do. So the sages explain the way, haderech, refers to acts of kindness. Now, Yeshua uh, often quoted this verse from Hosea 6.6. 6. He, he quoted Isaiah, uh, this Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire chesed and not sacrifice uh, to defend his eating with tax collectors and sinners. Um, so that's to say, reaching out to others for the sake of kindness is actually a higher value than isolating yourself for the sake of holiness. The, the weighty matter of chesed stands in for the commandments reflecting the relationship between a person and other people. Um, so, and so as far as the pillars of Shimon the righteous go, he listed acts of kindness explicitly, so that connection is clear. Um, Psalm 89, verse 3, or if you're reading from a Christian Bible, it's in verse 2, says, Steadfast love will be built up forever. That's the ESV. Steadfast love will be built up forever. But in Hebrew, this is olam chesed yibane, which the sages, they didn't have the, in the ESV, so they had to figure it out uh, for themselves. They interpreted this to mean the world is built upon chesed. The world is built upon chesed. So while creation is an act of separation and distinction, the universe is also founded on kindness. So to build this world, we need both of those things. One should not see chesed 
as contrary to mishpat. True kindness and, and true justice complement one another. They don't contradict. Kindness without justice is not true kindness. Justice without kindness is not th- true justice. Chesed is like an electric charge. Um, when it operates without boundaries and without direction, it's a chaotic and destructive force. Our world today is filled with destructive chesed. Mishpat is is like an insulator. If it's not guiding an electric impulse, it serves no purpose at all. But the two together can form a circuit with powerful and useful results. The same is true when one combines high-voltage kindness with suitably safe boundaries of justice and judgment. Now, the third weighty of, uh, matter of the Torah is unique because in, in Micah 6.8, the, the third trait was to walk humbly or, or, or to walk modestly with your God. And Now, here, Yeshua appears to deviate from what Micah said, and instead he, he integrated the single trait mentioned by Habakkuk, he said, which says, of course, the righteous shall live by his faith or faithfulness, emunah. Now, why would Yeshua take the first two weighty matters from Micah and then take the third one from Habakkuk. Well, it's possible. Maybe Yeshua quoted all three from Micah and then we ended up with faith in the Gospels due to some translation telephone game. I I don't know. Um, I I will leave that discussion for another time, but we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about Imuna. After all, it's a, a foundational, it's a weighty matter of the Torah. It is something, and Muna faith is something that Yeshua emphasized frequently. And, and furthermore, there is a close relationship between Emunah and Sniut, or modesty. Um, Psalm 33 ties all, um, the, 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 our three terms together. Um, Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz points this out in his book, Man and God. Psalm 33, starting in verse 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. His work is done be'emunah. He loves righteousness and justice, and that's mishpat. And the earth is full of the steadfast love. That's the chesed of the Lord. That's Psalm uh, 33, verses 4 to 5. So, So justice, kindness, and faith, these are all attributes of God which he infused into our universe. In fact, we learn from that, that verse and from others that emunah describes the way that God carries out his mishpat and his chesed. In Psalm 96, it says that God judges his people with his emunah. And in Psalm 119, verse 75, it says that in emunah, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Afflicted in emunah. So, well, you know, faith is often confused with belief. Belief simply means accepting an an idea as truth. I mean, you might believe something because you have firsthand evidence that it is true. Um, Maybe you believe something because you trust the person who told it to you. Your belief might be correct or it might be incorrect, but in any case, it just means believing something just means that you consider a statement as fact. Now, but according to the Torah, Hashem is a God of emunah, a God of belief. No, emunah, or faith, is better understood as faithfulness. Yes, to be faithful, you first must believe, but to be faithful is not just to agree. 
it means that you are committed. Faithfulness is loyalty, steadfastness in a relationship of trust. Emunah is reliability. That's true of God, and it's true of us. God's emunah also connects to his chesed. Psalm 98 tells us, Zachar chasto ve'emunato levet Yisrael. Psalm 98 says, um, he, he he has remembered his chesed and his emunah to the house of Israel in his act of redemption. He remembers his kindness and he remembers his faithfulness for the Jewish people. Psalm 92 tells us that it is good to give thanks to Hashem, to declare his chesed in the morning and his emunah by night. Right. So there's a connection between chesed and emunah. God's chesed is something we perceive in the light and consciousness of daytime. Whereas in the dark and the unconscious night, we entrust ourselves to God's emunah. And, and that's what it means for us to have emunah, for the righteous to live by his faith. It's to entrust ourselves to God's faithfulness, to his reliability. Regardless of the way things seem at the moment, you hold fast with trust and dedication, knowing that in the end, it will all be worth it. The apostles de define emuna for us. We it's nice. We have a misora defining emuna in, in Hebrews uh, chapter eleven, verse one. It says, "Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." So, in other words, we trust that God's promises will hold true, even though they are not here yet. Um, Hebrews says, "For by it." The people of old received their commendation. So in other words, this is what made our righteous ancestors righteous. They stayed loyal to God even when uh, promises were still unfulfilled. Hebrews says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So as our prayers say, Blessed is the one who spoke and the world came to be. The universe began as just words. So for a brief moment, there were only the intangible words, let there be light. And then those words became light. So there was evening when there was just a promise, and there was morning when there was reality. By night, we have his word, his promise, so he tell of his Emunah, his faithfulness. By morning, it becomes reality, so we tell of his kindness, his chesed. And so one who fails to trust God, one who lacks emunah, takes matters into their own hands. They, they do not truly believe a future reward awaits them, so they seek their reward here and now. And this is what leads to destruction. So let's recap. First, we learned that while the Torah is profuse with commandments, and, and that's a good thing. It's difficult to know where to start. But fortunately, uh, King David, the prophets, and the Messiah himself have identified for us the core principles that we can focus on as we grow and learn in Torah. It's like the illustration of the person who, like I said, puts rocks and pebbles and sand in a jar. If you begin with the sand, you won't have room for the pebbles and the big rocks. But if you begin with the big rocks... The pebbles will fall into the spaces between the rocks, and the sand will filter into the space between the pebbles. So we learned the rocks of the Torah, the basic concepts that define the trajectory of God's will for our lives. 
and we use these principles as guideposts to help us conform to God's will. King David gave us 11 principles. Isaiah reduced it down to six. Michael or Micah whittled it down to three points to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk modestly. And Habakkuk tells us that it all boils down to faith. Shimon the Righteous told us that the world stands on three pillars, Torah, service of God, and acts of kindness. And these three line up evenly with the three weighty matters described by Micah and Yeshua. Torah is the same as mishpat or justice, and it sums up the commandments pertaining to a person's relationship to him or herself, the musar practice of conforming oneself to God's truth. The pillar of acts of kindness is the same as Micah's love of of kindness or chesed. It, it, uh, It sums up the commandments pertaining to a person's relationship with others. And the pillar of service of God is the same as Micah's walking modestly with God and Yeshua's weighty matter of faith. This sums up the commandments pertaining to a person's relationship with God. So now what? Now it's time for us to take action. So here's what we can do. First, you've got to learn the weighty matters of the Torah. Every disciple of Yeshua, when asked, what did Yeshua say were the weighty matters of the Torah, should be able to answer immediately, justice, kindness, and faith. So learning them is step number one. Next, apply these principles to your life. Evaluate your life and notice where you're spending your time and energy. So make justice, kindness, and faith your highest priorities. But don't stop there. Um, grow. Yeshua uh, we taught us that we should do the lighty, light, lighter matters without neglecting the heavier ones, or do the, do the, the uh, heavier ones without neglecting the lighter matters. When we integrate these details of Torah, we just make sure that they occupy the correct space, like sand occupying the space between big rocks. Integrate the lighter matters into the Torah's fundamentals. Build upon these weighty matters with the lighter matters. And finally, then we just grow and progress in righteousness. Never stop growing. A distillation of the Torah does not mean setting the bar lower. It doesn't mean omitting or neglecting commandments. It doesn't mean replacing the Torah with new commandments. When King David, Isaiah, Micah, Habakkuk, and Yeshua distilled the Torah, they did not reduce it. They they arranged it. They organized it. A good way to start growing in Mishpat is to learn the Torah. Include a little bit of a study in your day every day. And if you want to grow in Chesed, then start showing kindness, show love, give, serve, connect, reach out to others. How do you grow in imuna? How do you grow in faith or loyalty? Invest more in the kingdom. Eliminate the distractions in your life and eliminate the places that you turn for immediate gratification. That will help build your imuna. You are on a path. You are on a journey. So don't let another day, another week, another month, another year go by remaining where you are. No more being frustrated by your lack of progress. You are a follower of Messiah. You're a child of Hashem. You are on a, a person on a path of righteousness. Take on my yoke. 
Oh